Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. The Keys Network is proud to present Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness with your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad. Yes, once again, good afternoon, brothers and sisters. This is your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad, coming to you live on Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, Blog Talk Radio, The Keys 
107. Unlocking the door to unlimited potential. That's what we're about. We're about information, education, and inspiration. Because with those three, there's nothing that can stop us from achieving what we want to achieve. As long as we remember to put the creator first and to keep our motives righteously infused, we're unstoppable. This is the first show of the new year, 2013. Just being able to talk to you today is a blessing in itself because there was no guarantee that I would make it to this time to talk to you, nor that you would make it to this time to hear me. So for that alone, the creator deserves the honor, the respect, and the praise for his mercy and intervention in our affairs. Because I don't know about you, I'm going to speak for myself. I know that it's nothing that I have done in and of itself that makes me worthy to continue to be in his existence called universe, but it's only through his divine grace and mercy that he allows and spares my moment to go on a little while longer. And so because of that, I am forever in debt, a debt that I can never repay. And so that's what fuels me to do the things that I do, not for monetary gain and not for the praises and well wishes of men and women, but because I know that I owe and I have to try and pay it forward because I can't pay it back. Disaster awareness for community preparedness is what we're talking about today. And I want to talk about it from a little different perspective this time. This being the first month of the new year, next month being the celebrating or recognized month that we deal with black history. Um, I, you know, I don't know how that came about, and I'm not even wasting time thinking about it. But you can't have American history without black history. You can't have any history without black history. So all history is black history because in some way, shape, or form, black people were either involved in it, actively doing it, or because they were the victims of it, but we were there and will continue to be there because we are the original inhabitants of the planet. All life comes from us. Remember that. In talking about this now, looking at what's going on in society and on the horizon, disasters are happening more and more. Their storms are kicking up more and more. They're coming from east. They're coming from west. They're coming from north. They're coming from south. There are underground volcanoes that are erupting, causing tidal waves and sending shock waves throughout the earth from beneath us. It's causing ripples in the ground and causing earthquakes and tremors to go all throughout not just the United States but the world. 
if you look online on on a certain website that I had given you before, you will see in real time every disaster that's going on on the planet. And all of these things are being watched and trying to be managed by those who work in the field of disaster management in order to try and save lives and reduce the amount of liability and disastrous outcomes that come from these natural occurrences. So in saying that, let's talk about some of our famous people from history. Mm. Let's start with our sister, Harriet. Yes, sir. This is Brother Rudolph again. Yes. What would... Yes, you're back. Thank you. Yes. What would Sister Harriet Tubman have had in her go bag? What are some of the things that you think she would have had to have with her as she was traveling to and from to and fro, um, going from city to city, state to state, trying to get our people to freedom. Well, let's let us um, go and take a little trip back in history. What I want all the listeners to do right now is work with me here for a moment. Indulge me for a moment. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. And imagine we're going back in time. We're not going back to yesterday. In the physical sense, we're going back to yesteryear. We're going two, three hundred years back in the past. There are no cell phones. There are no airplanes. There are no city buses for us to ride on. We are a people who walk where we're going or we're going to ride a mule or we're riding in the back of a wagon. But for the most part, we're not going that far because 
we are part and parcel belonging to someone else, and so our movements are very, very regulated. So we are on the plantation. So now let's imagine some of the sounds of the plantation. What would you hear? Oh, well, you will hear some singing, some of them old Negro spirituals being sung. You'll hear some wagons riding. You'll hear some horses running. You may hear some dogs barking. You may hear some pickaxes swinging. You may hear that whip cracking. You may hear some wailing and gnashing of teeth. And through all of that, in the backdrop, there's movement going on. Because there's an organized movement to try and steal away and to get people to freedom. Well, Harriet Tubman, she telephoned ahead to let people know she couldn't send a text message. She couldn't send an email. She couldn't get on Facebook or Twitter and announce that she was coming. So how would they know to be ready to receive her? How would they know that sister was coming and that they needed to be ready when she got there because the train was pulling out? What would they have to have with them? So they would need to have some clothing for the journey. They would need to have something to carry fresh drinking water in. Because they're traveling the way they're traveling, they can't use Samsonite luggage. They don't have those kind of suitcases with the wheels on it that they can pack a week's worth of clothing in for three or four days. They have to carry whatever it is they're carrying in their arms or on their back. And then remember now, they couldn't pack too much because they didn't want to alert the master, the overseer, or anybody else that they were getting ready to move up. As they're moving, they're hearing the horses. And they're hearing the dogs galloping behind them. But they have to keep moving. They're generally traveling along the river because traveling along the river helps them to know the direction that they're going, north or south. Following the light of the moon, knowing that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, that's their direction or their compass that they're going by. Knowing how to read the signs of heaven, knowing what Polaris, the North Star, is, knowing what the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, where they are and which direction they face. These are. This is some of the elementary education that they had to have back in those days. Knowing that moss grows on the north side of a tree helps them to be able to differentiate and determine 
which direction they're going in when they get turned around. Listening, being still, listening for the crickets, but more so listening for breaking tree branches as someone is trying to follow them or creep up on them. Listening for the hound dogs as they're sniffing, trying to find their location and follow them. So, again, they will often travel along the route of the creeks or the rivers so they could pass through them to throw off their scent. But in doing so, now they're wet. Their feet are wet. Depending on the climate that you're in, wet clothes and wet feet are not conducive for trying to go long distances because now you end up being cold and you may be subject to hypothermia. But again, there's no 911 that you can call when you get sick out there. There is no ambulance that's going to respond to you or no emergency room that you could just walk into and get some antibiotics. So they had to have a good working knowledge of what plants, what flowers, what things grow in the wild that they could use that would help alleviate swelling of the joints. That would be a painkiller to help ease the pain of certain things. That would be a natural antibiotic that would help to reduce the amount of infection so that they could keep going. And then those things that would help to nourish them, not necessarily fill them up or feed them like they were eating a Thanksgiving or Christmas meal, but that those high-protein things that they could eat that would give the body energy, fuel, to continue on their journey. And then because Sister Harriet traveled the same route very often, it's not inconceivable to know that she had go bags stashed all along the route. So she really didn't have to carry that much stuff. She would have a change of clothing here. She would have some food stashed here. She would have some tools that she may need in order to do her job stashed here. So all she had to do was know enough to get there and the stuff would be there. Well, in doing that, what else would Harriet have to have done? She would have had to be in great physical condition. She could not have been weighing other than herself and trying to keep up that rigorous activity level that she had to keep. She had to keep her mind sharp as a tack and staying focused to the mission. What type of medical ailments did she or those that were traveling with her suffer that they had to make provisions for? Did they have asthmatics going with them? Well, they didn't have albuterol treatments and inhalers back then. But there was always one from among us who knew that the bark of that tree 
or the root of that plant right there, if you steep it and drink it, that it would help to dilate your bronchioles. Or if you take a bunch of those leaves right there and chew them up and swallow them, it would help to kill parasites in the digestive tract. Or if you drink this concoction right here, it would help to flush you out and to help clean your blood so that you wouldn't have to worry about the backup or the buildup of parasites in you. Yes, in some silly places, they call them witch doctors. Yes, they call, it was called bush medicine. But whatever you want to call it, it was a common knowledge amongst us as a people back then without a textbook, without an Internet, without Google or, or, or uh, some of these other technical things that we seem to be crippled with now. And this information was passed on generation to generation so that just about in every community there were experts uh, in the community, experts of astrology or astronomy, experts that dealt with seamanship or that knew navigation in the water, experts that knew about growing power and how to regenerate dead soil in order to get live crops from it. Experts that knew how to heal the body when it was sick or ailing. Yes, so what else do you think would have been in Sister Harriet's go bag? A go bag is a bag that you grab and go when you have to get out of somewhere quickly. And in that go bag is whatever is germane to you and your environment. See, the purpose of this was to get you to think and to think about the things that you think that you need on a daily basis versus those of our ancestors back then. So everybody's go bag is going to be different because everybody is a different individual and requires different things. But some of the basic things that should be in your go bag should always be a first aid kit, something to take care of your personal hygiene. Because in a disaster, the first casualty is always personal hygiene. You want to make sure that you have those little things that will help give you a sense of calm, a feeling of humaneness as you are going through your soldier trying to get from where you are to a position of safety. So whatever that may be to you, Maybe it might be a little perfume just to help you smell better to yourself. Maybe it might be a certain type of 
toothpaste. Maybe for you, that could be a little lotion or or uh, cocoa butter, something to make your skin not as dry and crackly. Whatever it is that you feel will help calm your head and cool you out in a time of crisis. Somebody is carrying your go bag in a disaster. And two, you can't carry everything or take everything that you may want with you. You need to take the things that you need with you. So as we get ready for this first commercial break, get you a pen and a piece of paper together so that when we come into the next segment of the show, we can go further into the anatomy of a go-bag. And I want you to call in to 213-943-3618. Press the number 1 on your phone in order to speak directly to the host and be engaged in this live discussion on the anatomy of a go-back. So we're going to get ready to take this break, and when we come back, we will, again, go further into the anatomy of a go-back. You are listening to Blog Talk Radio, The Keys 107, Disaster Awareness, for Community Preparedness, and I'm your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad, on this first day of the new year, 2013. Stay tuned. This portion of the key was brought to us by Moon107.com. Moon107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuffed shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Don't forget to visit moon107.com. Sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. 
news was brought to us by Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. And you're back with disaster awareness for community preparedness with Brother Rudolph Mahomet. Yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. And here we are back again. Disaster awareness for community preparedness. And this portion, the topic we can use is the anatomy of a go bag. And this is nothing that's planned. I just came up with this. This just popped into my head. And I just said, yeah, let me go with that. I like that. I like that. The anatomy of a go bag. Well, for those of us who are students, we know that anatomy, what is anatomy? So now just take that definition that you have for anatomy and apply it to a go bag. Like our physical anatomy is the makeup of our body. Well, what is the makeup of a go bag. Now, before we went on break, I said that all go bags are going to be different in nature because individuals are different. However, they are all going to have some things that are common. And let's go through some of those common things now. And, of course, because this is me talking, let's start with the medical part of that go bag or the first aid kit. What should be in your first aid kit? I tell you to get a pen and a piece of paper. Hopefully you brought it back because I'm going to be giving out some information. And if you miss any of the information, remember that this segment will be archived so that you can go back into it at any time. Okay, now we're talking about a first aid kit. In a good first aid kit, there are a few things that you need to have. One, of course, let's talk about some hydrogen peroxide. Hydrogen peroxide has many uses. Of course, we use it for cleansing of small wounds. It's great to help clean up blood. You can even, with a cap full of it, gargle with it or put it in your mouth and swish it around in your mouth before you brush your teeth. It helps to loosen some of the debris on the teeth. If you have small cuts, In your mouth, you will find out when you do that. There is also a type of peroxide 
that is called ingestible peroxide, but this is not the hydrogen peroxide that you get at the local store or in the pharmacy. So don't make uh, a mistake about the two. Ingestible peroxide is peroxide that you, it is safe to drink it because it will not harm you. It's designed to help cleanse and clean out your digestive tract, your intestine. But the hydrogen peroxide in the brown bottle that's sold in the pharmacy and in the 99-cent stores and the local bodegas, that's not the type that you want to drink. So, again, hydrogen peroxide. Now you need some type of alcohol, whether it's 50%, 70% isopropyl alcohol, whether it's the wintergreen, that's up to you, whichever is your um, determination, whatever you want to have, but you should have some of that in there. And what is the alcohol for? The alcohol is for a couple of things. It's good for rubbing and massaging on on um, sore muscles, sore joints. It's also good for cleansing things. You want to have some white petroleum or, as we know it, Vaseline, which is the brand name. Remember, you have a brand or a trade name, and then you have a generic or a chemical name. Well, the generic or chemical name is white petroleum. The brand name is Vaseline. But what is that for? That has a number of uses. One, it can be used as a lubricant for the skin as well as for the hair. Again, we're talking about a go-bag. We're talking about an emergency situation. Okay. It could be used as a base if you have to use certain medications, topical medications. It's just always good to have some white petroleum or Vaseline laying around. Okay, what else? Assorted sizes of band-aids for small lacerations, abrasions, cuts, nicks, wounds, excisions, punctures. So after you cleanse them, you cover them with the band-aid to help keep germs and bacteria out. Remember where wounds are concerned. A dressing must be sterile because it's going directly on the wound. A bandage needs only to be clean because it's holding the dressing in place. So a dressing goes directly on a wound, and a bandage secures the dressing in place. The dressing should be sterile 
because it's directly exposed to the wound. The bandage needs only to be cleaned. And you can have different sizes because you may have different size injuries, different size wounds. You want to always have something to make a sling with, in case you injure your shoulder or injure your arm and you need to, to support it. So you want to have a triangular shape bandage in order to make a slit. Ties around your neck and you can tie it around the arm and support the arm in the up position. What else do you need? You need some type, something to make a split or something out of. Now, where this is concerned, what you need to know about splinting, the art of splinting is used to provide support for the body part that it's being used on. It's to help prevent further injury of that body part, and it's being used to help move the entire person or that body part. So a split should go above and below the injured site, and that should be secured firmly to that site. And when you're talking about splinting, you have to use the creativity in your mind. What are some of the things that can be used as a, as splints if you need a splint for your forearm or for your humerus, which is where your bicep and tricep is, or for your tibia or fibula, which is below your knee, between your knee and your ankle, what we affectionately call our shin bone or for the ankle itself, or for the wrist, or for the, what are known as phalanges, which are fingers or toes. Well, you know, you always have the popsicle sticks that you can take and put them with the fingers and take them to the fingers. You see people with injuries to their fingers all the time in every sport, and they'll take two of them together. Why are they doing that? To give one of them support by being next to the finger that's not injured. And they tape it there, and it stays and it moves as one unit with the good one. If any of you have ever broken a toe, you know, they don't split a toe. They just tell you you have to grin and bear it. They may secure it to the toe next to it for a while, If it's a wrist, like I said, or an ankle, remember these are joints, and these are joints that usually provide 360-degree motion. So if you're going to split that joint, you want to try and prevent that 360-degree motion. So you're going to put it in a position of function Make sure that it has a good pulse or that blood 
bulky dressing, like a, taking a pillow and wrapping it around your foot when you injure your ankle or your wrist. It could be taking a milk carton and flattening it out and folding it in half. And then it becomes rigid enough to be used as a splint. How about a wire hanger? That if you fold it down in half, now it becomes rigid enough that it can be secured to the forearm or to the humerus so that it can be secured there to provide support for that part of the body. What about a newspaper? If you fold it in half and then in half again, either way, because unless it's the final call newspaper that you're reading, it basically is not good for anything else because it ain't What's it doing? I'm not saying that there's not some good in other newspapers. I'm just saying that the most good you could probably get from it is to use it as a splint or as a piece of kindling for a fire to get some heat because there's very little truth you're going to get out of it unless it's one of our publications. Now, what do I mean by our publications? I mean those publications produced by us, for us, about us. Okay, so now what else is in the anatomy of this first aid kit? Some roller bandage or roller gauze, that's the clean type bandage that you wrap around to secure that dressing. You may want to have some triple antibiotic ointment or some neosporin, some um, uh, bacitracin, something like that, something that for those small cuts and wounds and stuff that you can put some type of ointment on it that will help to fight off bacteria. You may want some hydrocortisone cream in there in case you get some topical or some skin irritants. You ever had where just in a particular location, a particular part of your body, whether it's your arm, your face, your hand, just in one small area, it just started to whip up or swell up, start itching, and it looked like you were having an allergic reaction to something. Well, that's what hydrocortisone is a steroidal cream that helps to, I won't say cure that, but it helps to alleviate the symptoms that are causing the problem. How about a little dipenhydramine, or we know it as Benadryl, Claritin, something of that nature 
that is an antihistamine that you would take if you were having a localized allergic reaction. Of course, aspirin is always good to have. You know, aspirin is good because what does aspirin do? Aspirin is a blood thinner, so it helps to thin out the blood. Aspirin may be taken at times when you may have a headache, some chest pain if your doctor prescribes it for you. But then again, some people are allergic to aspirin, so you need to know that. So ibuprofen, which is not just a fever reducer, okay, but ibuprofen is helps to alleviate swelling, inflammation, edema. And again, we're talking about chemical name versus brand name. So you're talking you're talking Moltrin, I'm talking ibuprofen. You should always have some Tylenol, acetaminophen, and some liquid ibuprofen, whether it's Advil or children's Motrin, if you have children around, because it's a great fever reducer. When children have high fevers, remember, Tylenol is very, very toxic on the liver. So you don't want to just keep feeding Tylenol, Tylenol, Tylenol. You want to use Tylenol when the fever is really, really high, and you want to try and bring it down quickly. But for the low-grade fevers, you can use either children's Motrin or children's Advil because it lasts longer in the system and works longer. Instead of four hours, you may get six to eight hours. What medical conditions do you have? You need to have those medicines in your go bag. And, again, if you have those medical conditions, you can get up to a 90-day supply of your medication simply by having your physician write the prescription and taking it to one of the pharmacies, Dwayne Reed, Rite Aid, Walgreens, um, whatever the, the – the CVS, and they can fill up to a 90-day prescription for you, and you can put a 30-day supply in your go bag, so it's always there. Put a 30-day supply somewhere else, so if you have to go somewhere or have to try and get somewhere, your medication will be there, and then you just rotate your stock. One of the worst parts about a disaster is not so much the disaster when it happens, but it's the aftermath, what comes behind it. More people die in the aftermath of disasters than in the actual disaster. 
Okay, now in that first aid kit, so we've talked about a lot of things in the first aid kit. And now, again, whatever you feel is going to make you comfortable that you can deal with situations when they arise, that's what you can add to your first aid kit. Now, your personal hygiene kit, of course, toothbrush, toothpaste, dental floss, some type of soap, something to wash with, a wash for a cloth or, you know, the handy wipes or something of that nature, something to cleanse yourself with. Now, when it comes to deodorant, whether you're using the crystals or the stones or the, you know, regular deodorants or whatever, again, we're talking an emergency. This is a disaster. Now, I will just simply say this. Antiperspirant deodorants may not be as good for you as you think because if it's antiperspirant, that means that it's designed to stop you from perspiring. Well, the body's natural way of cleansing itself and relieving itself of toxins and of heat is to perspire. So if you're preventing that, what harm are you doing to your body? Now, if you want to have some shampoo and conditioner, and if you shave some type of um, shave razor and, you know, skin something, moisturizer or whatever, in your hygiene kit, that's up, that's fine. That's up to you. At, you know, how much space do you have? You have to take that into consideration. And, again, when we're talking this go bag, we're not talking 72 hours. Family. Oh, no, that 72-hour stuff, that's old news. No, your go-bag should be able, you should be able to live out of your go-bag at least five to seven days just to be on the safe side. Why? Because what we've seen in the past, in the recent past is that it's generally around the 96-hour mark now, 72 to 96 hours before anything is even done. So you're on your own for at least that first 72 to 86 hours, and then the teams are being sent in to. You need to be self-sufficient for at least five to seven days. Okay, so that's the personal hygiene kit. So now, in your go bag, you have your personal hygiene kit. You have your first aid kit. Now, what other kits do you need in your go bag? You may need a tool.
We'll be right back after the station identification. This portion of the keys was brought to us by Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149.
to start acquiring your equipment for your go bags. Let us help you with that because generally we have already spoken to certain um, suppliers. There are certain ones who are working with us to help us because we've given them the specifications for what we need for what we do, and they have agreed to design things just for us. And so we will be advertising things from time to time to let you know where to get this stuff from. Because, again, the purpose of this is not to have you go out and spend your life savings on things that are just not practical. But a good multi-tool is necessary. Commander, go ahead. Hello? Yes, Commander Robinson. Is this Commander James Rocky Robinson? Hello? Okay, I think we lost that. All right, so now we talked about our toolkit. So now we have our hygiene kit, personal hygiene kit. We have our first aid kit. We have our toolkit. What else should be in our go bag? Some type of clothing. And that is germane to the climate that you're in, the environment that you're in, and the geographic location that you're in. You need to have weather-appropriate clothing. And, again, people, this you're not going out to a party or a dance or a social event. You're trying to make it through a disaster. And so, yes, you will need clean underclothes. You will need a sec another change of outer clothes. But generally, you're going to wear your outer clothes unless they're soiled. So you just need to have some, also some type of ring gear, whether it's a poncho. Yes, Hello? is this is this Commander James Rocky Robinson? Hello. Okay, we'll keep going. Um, so you need to have some rain gear or something that will help protect you from the elements of nature, whether it's rain, snow. Hail, sleep, cold, heat, a small umbrella, if you can fit it in your bag. Um, as they used to say, galoshes for your feet or just boots that don't have holes in the sole. You may want to keep a couple of plastic bags in your go bag. Put your dirty clothes in and tie it up, or maybe you'll have to put them on your feet to keep your feet warm and dry. What else should be in your go bag? Maybe you want to have a compass or a small um, map of either the state that you live in or even a, a United States map in there. Maybe you want to have a whistle in there, some way to alert people as to either that you need help or that something is coming up. 
Maybe you want to have some way to start a fire in your go bag, whether it's waterproof matches or it's a big lighter or it's, you know, if you're the Boy Scout or camping type individual, then you will have your fire starter equipment. What else needs to be in your go bag? Those are the basic things that should be in everyone's go bag. Of course, some clean drinking water or something to nourish and hydrate your body. And then something, again, to nourish you. But you need to be aware that if you're eating something that is has a high sodium content to it, something with a lot of salt in it, the more you eat it, the more you're going to want to drink and you may use up your um, drinks that you have. At this time, brother. yes, sir. Yes, Brother Muhammad, we have uh, you know, 5 o'clock on right now. Okay. Uh, Commander Robertson. Oh, oh, well, let's bring him right in uh, to the listening audience. Okay, we, we, we have on the line with us now the commander and the founder of the world-famous Bedford-Stuyvesant Volunteer Ambulance Corps, that is not just in the Bedford-Stuyvesant community of Brooklyn, New York, but this organization is all the way in the country of Haiti as we speak, and he is about to send another regiment of troops over there um, January 14th to teach and train the residents of Haiti in the life-saving and life-giving skills of CPR, first aid, and first responder so that they can become mobilized so that they can take care of their own and not have to be victims in their own country. But let's hear from Commander Robinson. Commander Robinson? How you doing? How you doing, son? <laughs> well, I, I can say this. Hey, Dad, Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year, son. Yeah. How uh, you feeling? I'm feeling good, you know, God is good. Uh one of my cadets that uh I trained uh over ten years ago gave me a kidney when I had a life threatening uh emergency. Uh I would have died if he hadn't have donated that kidney and guess what? It was a perfect match because God had a mission for me and I guess uh he refused to let me die. And what happened is, uh, in Bedford-Stuyvesant in 1988 was the height of the crack epidemic. Every other call in Bedford-Stuyvesant was drug-related. I was a captain with the FDNY EMS Division, and I noticed that in the black community, the communities where the help was needed most, the ambulance arrived like uh, 30 to 40 minutes late. And if somebody's not breathing, who you going to help coming 30 or 40 minutes late? I mean, every other call was drug-related. We had shootings, stabbings. We had uh, just out-of-control violence. And people was laying in the street 
watching their blood spill out of the gutter. And I said, no, 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 no. We cannot have people in our community waiting for somebody on a white horse to come riding in to save our kids' life. So I said, well, you know what? I am trained by the city of New York. And I, you know, if I'm not the solution, then I'm part of the problem. And there was this Jewish ambulance corps named Hazola. And we, when we used to respond over there in the Jewish community, their people would already be in the hospital. They didn't need the city. So I said, you know what? If they could do it in their communities, by God, I could do it in my own community. But easier said than done. I reached out to the churches, to the politicians, and everybody and told them what I want to do. That I want to start a volunteer ambulance corps in Bedford-Stuyvesant. They said, well, you go ahead and do it, then you get back to us. So I said, okay, if that's the way I got to do it, then that's the way I will do it. So I recruited one Puerto Rican brother, and we moved into an abandoned building where we taught the neighborhood kids, our trauma troopers, CPR, first aid. We didn't have an ambulance. But guess what? We would run on the call and beat the city on the call. And some of the people that I work with, they used to call me the renegade captain from FDNY because I was helping my own people. And I wasn't waiting for them to come into my community to do what we could do ourselves. And that's how you prepare for the disasters. Disasters are happening every single day in our own communities. And what are we doing about it? We will go any place in the United States and international, me and my sons and my trainees, to help people prepare so they won't be standing on the rooftop, so they won't be hollering somebody calling ambulance, so they don't be saying, will somebody do something, when that somebody should be you. And all you have to do, you get in touch with Brother Rudolph, Myself, I will give you my number, get a pen, get a paper. This might save your daughter, your son, your relative, somebody's life. Get in touch with us because we are eager to come and train you on what to do in case of emergency. The number is 718-453-4617, 718-453-4617. One seven. We were the first to respond to Haiti. We were the first to get to the 911. We got an ambulance crush. But thank God we saved thousands of people in the community by training them in CPR and first aid. And we want to do that all over America and internationally. We just need to galvanize our own people and stop waiting for somebody else to do what we could do ourselves. Well, thank you, sir. And, welcome, and, 
And, Dad, I'll call you as soon as I get off the air. Okay, sir. I love you. Bye-bye. I love you, too. You just heard from, look, that man is 72 years old and for the last 25 years has been the single solidary force behind the Bedford-Stuyvesant Volunteer Ambulance Corps. Every day, like clockwork, in that office, 8 a.m. in the morning to make sure that those doors are open, not leaving until about 6 or 7 in the evening. And even when he was on dialysis, would get off of dialysis and come right back to the office. There's a reason why it's the only one of its kind. That's because not many people are willing to sacrifice what it's going to take to ensure that an organization like that exists. And so... Yes, I am a part of the organization. Yes, I am one that has been there with him from day one. But, no, it was not my idea nor my vision. I bore on to the dream and to the um, to the vision and grew into seeing what the vision was. And so, yes, now, yes, I am. I'm a trauma trooper myself. Yes, I am. I'm a a life-saving junkie, and my whole life is dedicated to saving lives of not just my people, because all people are my people, okay, but it's to saving the lives of people who need it, putting the help where the hurt is. So, again, as he said, if you need to learn CPR, you want to learn first aid, if you want to organize your community where you are and have community emergency response teams in your area, in the projects where you live at, on the block, uh, your block association, in your church, wherever, you contact the Bedford-Stuyvesant Volunteer Ambulance Corps, a.k.a. Save-A-Life Rescue Squad. Go online to... Save a Life Rescue, CPRmasters.com, and you can speak right to us. Again, that number is 718-453-4617. All righty then. Now, let's, still in talking about the, the go bag and the anatomy of the go bag, so we have the basic equipment there. We have the basic things that you're going to need in there. Now, you need to have that gas mask. Let me tell you very quickly, we had talked about this once before, but I think we need to do it again because some people may have not, may not have been on the line and some people may have forgotten how to make a gas mask in five easy steps. The materials that you're going to need, you're going to need some charcoal, you're going to need some sheets of cotton. You're going to need a needle and thread. And you're going to need some material, whether it's a terry cloth towel or, you know, cotton um, sheeting, something. But you're going to need material to put that in and then sew it up. And then you're going to need a piece of elastic So when you sew it up, you will have the elastic that can go around it and go over your ears because that's going to be designed to cover your nose and your mouth. Okay, how do you do it? 
You take the charcoal and you pulverize it. What does pulverize mean? It means to get it to its finest or smallest components. That means you take a hammer and you break it, break it, break it, hammer it, get some of that aggression out, grinding those charcoal briquettes into little black powder. Then what you're going to do is you're going to take the sheets of cotton and you're going to moisten it with water. And then you're going to lay it in that pulverized charcoal first on one side until it's completely covered. Then you're going to flip it over on the other side till it's completely covered. Then you're going to put it inside the piece of material that you have. And then you're going to sew it up with the elastic on both ends, like I said, so it can connect around your ears. Now, you will have to measure it so that it fits your face, your children's face, and you should make one of these for every member of your family. And then you're going to put it inside a Ziploc bag. You're going to put that in your pocketbook, in the children's knapsacks that they carry to school, in your back pocket, in your cargo pants, and you're going to keep that with you every day just like you keep your wallet and your money with you. And when a situation arises where the air has been polluted or contaminated with something and you have to be out in it, then you will just take your bottle of water that you have, pour it on there to moisten it, which will reactivate it, then you're going to put it on and go on about your business. And what happens, because charcoal is nature's filter, and that charcoal with that cotton in that mask will help to filter whatever it is in the environment that you're breathing in to help protect your respiratory tract. Now, I'm not telling you that you can walk into a fire with this charcoal mask on and that you will be fine. No, it's not for smoke and fires. It's for other pollutants and contaminants which may be in the air that you're having to breathe at the, at the time. So that's how to make a gas mask in five easy steps. Again, the show will be archived so you can go back to it and you can look at it or you can simply contact me, R.T. Muhammad. That's R-T-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D at gmail.com or at msn.com. Or contact the station, blogtalkradio.com backslash the keys 107 contact the blog talk radio station okay uh right now well doesn't make sense to go to another break right now what we will do is since you have your pen and paper with you right now i tell you this is going to be a history lesson as well as um a lesson in disaster preparedness so we started the hour off talking about Harriet Tubman, but what I want you to go and research now is James Meredith, J-A-M-E-S, Meredith, M-E-R-R-I-D-I-T-H. James Meredith, and just a brief history, 
Um, James Meredith was the first person of color to enroll in what's now the University of Mississippi, or, or they call it Ole Miss. Now, when I was in high school, I went to Ole Miss. I was being recruited by them. So I went down there in order to um, visit the campus, you know, before taking the scholarship. It was a group of us that went. And in the middle of the night, we awakened to look out of the dorm window and see a cross being burned. Now, we don't know if this was on the campus or if it was just that close to the campus, but it was very vivid, very um, imaginable, and very, very scary. Imagine, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, although I spent time growing up in Bishopville, South Carolina, I was still not accustomed to crosses being burned. Not that close to me. And so what we did was we put the dresser behind the door, packed our stuff, put the beds behind the door, turned out the lights and sat there peeking out of the window until daybreak. And as soon as daybreak came, we got the heck up out of Jackson, Mississippi. When they came around to look for us to take us on a tour of the campus, what they found was an empty room. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 